Connections, Episode 4, Finding Hope, by Daniel Foytek. My world has shrunken. It's become such a harsh place lately that I seldom want to venture out into it. Better to be in my home, where I'm safe, even if I am alone. I reach into the dish drainer and pull a small metal bowl out and place it on the counter. I fill it with dried kibble and a scoop of wet food retrieved from the refrigerator. I add a tiny bit of water and mix everything together, then step out onto my front porch. The small, bony kitten is waiting, sunning herself on the first step. She's black as midnight, aside from a bright orange spot at the tip of her tail. She looks up with bright-eyed excitement when she hears me open the door. I set the bowl down and she casts a wary glance at my neighbor's house before approaching and attacking her morning meal with gusto. You really shouldn't feed strays, Lisa. They can become a real nuisance. I'm aware of your opinion, Tammy. When I bought my home, only nine years ago, Tammy's house had been trees and thick vegetation. Birds gathered in the branches and sang for the sun. Wildlife was everywhere and crickets called out into the night, looking for mates. I mean, they kill birds, they mess everywhere, and just wait until that one starts yelling at odd hours looking for a mate. I take a deep breath, ignoring her as I bend to pet the little one while she eats. She looks better since I've started feeding her, but when I stroke her back, I can still feel bones. If you like that wretched thing so much, why don't you just take it inside and give it a home? You never know just what might happen to it if you let it roam the neighborhood. A hawk could get it, an alligator could gobble it up if it gets too close to the canal, or it might even get into poison or get run over by a car. I stay silent, clenching my teeth, not trusting myself to respond. When did people become so cruel and self-absorbed? Were they always like this and I just hadn't noticed? Seems to me that the last few years has revealed a great ugliness in many of those I once thought were my friends and has proven how little I really knew about my family. The kitten finishes her meal and begins her bathing ritual, purring loudly. She jumps slightly and looks to me for reassurance when Tammy slams her front door. It's okay, pretty girl. You're okay. I stroke the kitten and sit next to her for a bit. Maybe I should take her in. Take her to the vet and get her checked out. As much as I want to do just that, 
I feel my chest tighten at the thought. What if something happens to me? I'm 68 years old, alone. Would it be worse to give her a home, only for her to finally feel safe and happy and then to have it torn away from her? What would happen to this kitten if something happens to me? The kitten, who I refer to simply as Outside Kitty, to give her a real name would mean attachment, and I fail so often at attachments, rubs up against me sweetly, and then saunters off to explore my flower garden. I watch her go, an ache in my heart as she disappears into the shadows and tall foliage, the orange tip of her tail the only part I can still see. I don't know that I could handle a new attachment, but I comfort myself with the knowledge that outside Kitty has a full belly and knows that someone is looking out for her. I go inside and pull out my paints and a fresh canvas and sit before the easel, musing. Lately, I've been painting again. For a long time, I felt like I had no art inside me anymore. My ex-husband had seen to that. I start with dark colors and hard strokes on the canvas as I think about the pain. He had always been cruel, but for some reason I was blind to it, or chose not to see it. I suppose at first it wasn't turned towards me, so it was easier to ignore. Sure, there had been fights, arguments that became heated with insults thrown in both directions, but most of us have those in our relationships. Even the worst arguments weren't truly cruel. Not in the way it became during and after the divorce. He always has a plan. He's a master of manipulation, and like a true narcissist, when it was apparent I was no longer going to be the source of what he needed, he tore me down, made me feel so small, so broken, and so unwanted that I believed his nonsense. I kick myself for it now, as I struggle to make ends meet even in my very early retirement, but his manipulation was so effective that I believed I was entitled to nothing, that I was the cause of our marriage falling apart, and that the only solution was to pack up what little I could fit into my car and head south to beg my sister for a place to stay. As soon as I left, he used that to his advantage. He told everyone that I took off and left him holding the bag for all our bills, that I was cruel. I never loved him. My decision to leave him came out of the blue, and I had tried to drain our bank account. When my daughter bought into his lies and became his ally, telling me she'd never see or speak to me again unless I signed away my rights, I was so broken that I did it. Not that it made any difference in the end. If that wasn't cruel enough, once he had what he wanted... The genuinely merciless attacks began. Voicemails started with him telling me about all the times he'd found comfort in the arms of other women over the years, what a lousy lover I'd been, how many of my friends he'd managed to bed, 
and then escalated to him calling and leaving the phone line open while he explored his newfound freedom with a series of women. He'd text me pictures of the women and the places he was visiting, and of course messages about how he was spending the money we had put away for our mutual retirement. My daughter, after a brief reconciliation following the birth of her first child, has returned to not speaking to me, at least in any meaningful way. But I sometimes wonder how she'd feel if she heard those messages, saw those pictures, knew what her wonderful, loving father really was. The painting is harsh lines and darkness, its anger and pain. I shake my head and set the canvas aside, taking up another. I breathe deep and close my eyes and then begin again. The anger hasn't fully left me as I start to think about Tammy and her nasty words this morning. I look out the window and begin to paint the outlines of her house. I work on it for a while, getting the details just right. But then I paint over her front door I imagine it would be better on the other side of her house that I don't see. I do the same with the windows, until the side of the house facing me is a blank wall of stucco. It makes me smile a little. Just for the hell of it, I paint in a few trees between her house and mine, and fill them with dark purple berries and brightly colored birds. I take a nap in the afternoons after lunch. When it seems like there's so little I can control, little routines give me comfort. Today, I'm pulled into groggy awareness by what sounds like Tammy and her husband arguing. I prefer to avoid conflict. Even hearing a shouting match not directed at me makes me feel queasy, but the volume of their shouting piques my curiosity. I open the sliding glass door and slip out onto my screened-in back porch. Bullshit, Tammy. I'm gone for two weeks and you have the house remodeled? I'm telling you, I didn't have anything to do with it. For Christ's sakes, Bob, why would I have that done anyway? I have no idea. You do things that make no sense all the time. First of all, screw you. And second, I'm telling you, this morning, the front door was right there. Yet I come home and walk up to it key in hand, and there's no door. I can't explain it, and you screaming at me doesn't change anything. I... I have no words, Tammy. I don't know what game you're trying to play, but it's not amusing. And these trees? What the hell? Those weren't here this morning either, I swear to God. Fucking berry trees, Tammy. Look, the damn birds are already shitting them all over the cars. What? Look at our cars, Tammy. They're covered with purple berry bird shit. My absolute favorite. How the hell did those get there? I imagine you had someone plant them there. Screw you, Bob. Don't you walk away from me, Tammy. I'm opening a bottle of wine. I had nothing to do with this, and I can't. I just can't. I pull the cord and pull up the blinds that give me a small measure of privacy from the neighbors and stand there, stunned. Not possible. I head inside and look at this morning's painting. 
I look through the window at Tammy and Bob's house and compare the two. I spend the rest of the afternoon going outside and looking at their house, going back and looking at the painting and staring out the window. I repeat this too many times to count. No matter what vantage point I take, it's the same. Eventually, I have to accept what I'm seeing. There's a rush of excitement, followed by a feeling of dread. I cycle between the two for a while, wondering if I should fix what I did or not. I decide I'm afraid to touch the painting, so I ignore it the best I can until it's time for dinner. While my leftovers from last night are reheating in the microwave, I prepare outside Kitty's evening meal and take it out to the front porch. I'm surprised when I find she's not there. I feel my stomach tighten, worried that something has happened to her when I see movement out of the corner of my eye and hear the kitten yowl and tear off through the grass. I look to see Bob toss a few rocks into his driveway. Got it on the first shot. The pride in his voice makes the hand of my side clench into a fist, and I nearly drop the bowl in my other hand. What did you do? That cat was in my yard. No doubt stalking the purple berry-eating birds in these trees. He gestures towards the trees, but I don't wait around to continue the conversation. I turn and start looking for the kitten, but she's hiding somewhere, probably injured, I think. I set the bowl close to my front door and go inside. I'm at the easel with a fat brush and gesso white. It doesn't take long to get a blank canvas, but it will take an hour or so for the canvas to dry. A strange fog rolls in as I sit down to eat. I hear far-off muffled voices and some other sounds I've never heard before. It's indescribable, but it's haunting and makes my head throb. After I finish my meal, I make my way unsteadily toward the front door. I feel dizzy. When I open the door to see if outside Kitty came and ate her meal, there's nothing but an unnatural fog thicker than I've ever seen. But of course, it's not fog. I know it's not. It's the void. It's nothing. It's my shrunken world and it's all around me. As many times as I've wanted solitude, I could never have imagined anything this absolute. I stand there and stare into it. The absence of my former life. The absence of my family and friends. The absence of my daughter and granddaughter. No future, no past. The present, flat and empty. Part of me is tempted to step into it, to see how many steps I can take before it swallows me. Would I turn around like one lost in a snowstorm and never find my way back? 
Or would my home remain an island of simple solitude waiting for me, cut off from everything and everyone? The void murmurs and beckons, like the sound of a thousand, thousand hushed conversations. It buzzes and crackles. It whispers and moans. And then I hear the faintest sound cut through it all. I listen closer and identify the sound of the kitten, afraid, lost, trying to figure out where she is. I leave the door open and run back to the easel. The void follows me inside, slowly spilling into the entryway and washing over everything, draining it of color. I pick up my brushes and start laying down paint. I start with my flower garden, putting in the green stalks and stems, peppering them with dots of bright blossoms. I bring the lawn into being around it and lead it up to the edge of my porch. I hear her more clearly now. She's less afraid. She sees the open door and knows it's an invitation. I keep painting until it's all back where it belongs, the way it was. I stop when I hear the pitter-patter of little feet, and I look up to see the kitten waiting at the edge of my living room, the orange tip of her tail wrapped around herself, resting between her front paws as she blinks at me slowly, the way cats do, and purrs. Neither of us are alone anymore, and the world feels bigger than ever. Welcome home, Hope. Today's episode of Connections was written by Daniel Foytek and it featured Erica Sanderson as Lisa, Lainey Lopez as Tammy and Daniel Foytek as Bob. It was directed, scored and edited by Nico Vitesi of We Talk Dreams, soundscaped by Melissa Pons of Hemlock Creek Productions and produced by Meg Williams. To learn more, buy merch or join our Patreon visitors at www.wetalkofdreams.com on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or join us on Discord. This podcast is dedicated to our community of creatives. Without you, this podcast would not exist. Thank you. <laughs>